You're listening to Felony Podcast with your host, Dave Dahl, on the Startup Radio Network. The Felony Podcast explores ex-felons that have gone on to launch their own startups. We explore the ups, the downs, the -the behind-the-bar stories with these founders. Felony Podcast airs every Friday morning at 10 a.m. Pacific Time. My name is Mark Grimes, co-founder of Startup Radio Network. Also with us in the studio, Dave's partner in crime, Lad Justison. And here's a man with a plan, leader of the band, buff and tanned, Dave, the killer bread man, doll. Hey, hey, thanks, Bob. Welcome to the Felony Inc. podcast, coming to you live from Portland, Oregon. We share stories that show again and again that there is light at the end of the tunnel, that happiness and success are a state of mind, not the result of material gain or fame. Don't get me wrong, I like making money, but it's really learning to rock the journey with all of its ups and downs that I call success. Owning up for my past mistakes and being willing to work harder than anyone else have been essential to my own triumphs. If you're not passionate and willing to work hard, you might as well have winning the lottery as your life plan, like Lad does. That's how good your chances are. Our best, our best guests on Felony Inc. have discovered the amazing power of accountability and have converted adversity to wisdom and a success mindset. Most of our guests have been convicted of felonies and are now honest, hardworking entrepreneurs. Positive change isn't easy. Transformation is a motherfucker. I know Lad is scared to say that word, so I got to say it every time. I'm Dave Dahl, and I co-founded Dave's Killer Bread after a total of 15 years in the joint. As usual, my co-host is none other than Lad Justison, a 20-year veteran of the Oregon prison system himself. Yo. I just got some news. Uh Uh-oh. I won the lottery. (laughs) (laughs) So his life plan is coming together, finally. Yes, I can pay you back. (laughs) Oh, good. (laughs) Boy, I could use that. Um, So what else has happened? Anything? Or just want to move on? Well, you know, um, your business, African Art Business, Discover African Art, um, you know, is doing really well because we slashed the prices uh, 50%. We're doing a liquidation. Yes, we are. We don't want to spend a lot of time on that because it's not very inspiring. It's kind of a very, you know. Yeah. Kind the of lab does a great job there taking photos and uh, various things that he does in the support of that uh, endeavor, which is quite a monster that I built, that I created, another one of those monsters I created. Huge. Um, not, as, not as rewarding as the Dave's Killer Bread monster was. Also, not as many um, hardships. So that's right. We'll take it kind of like that, kind of like down the middle road, the Buddhist middle path. This is kind of what I like, and um, so I'm pretty, I'm doing really well. I'm really happy. I, I got a good buddy, lad, who's survived cancer. Um, you know, just recently, yeah, we got melanoma, and uh, we all thought. I mean, he was really, really sick, and, and the stuff they gave him. Uh, to help him was made him really sick. And he did. So now Lad seems to be doing all right. Well, you know, while while I was on the operating table, it was uh, it was pretty cool because uh, they did a penis enlargement as well. <laughs> so you know, I kind of came out of it a little so bit. So he better. actually has one now. Yeah. Uh, he had an adictomy operation. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Want me to add a dick to you? Uh, no, thank you. Okay. Uh, let's get on to what's really going on here. Today's guests are Perry Gadurgis. Did I say that right? Perfect. And Chris Poulos. Poulos. Yes, you got it. Is, is that right? Okay. It is. No, neither one of those are really easy. Perry founded uh, Recycled Books Incorporated, a successful college textbook wholesale business, and with an online retail book business. So wholesale and uh, online retail. Um, He has advocated for community, jail, and prison library book donations and educational outreach programs for decades. Now, that's a very, very limited uh, scope of your biography. I've seen a lot more. Yes. 
and you're not you're not a kid, and you've been doing a lot of cool stuff for a long time. Yes, absolutely. Okay, and and then our other guest is Chris Pulos. Oh, Pulos. Pulos, you've got it. Okay, it says it right. Um, once a homeless teenager, and now a licensed attorney. He served nearly uh, three years in a federal prison for drug-related conviction. Chris serves as executive director of the Washington Statewide Reentry Council. Is that right? Yes, that's, that's pretty cool. And was appointed by Department of Commerce Director Brian Bonelander. Bonlander. Bonlander. <laughs> Bonlander. Sorry, Bonlander. Sorry, Mr. Bonlander. Can I loan you my bone, please? <laughs> It reminds me, somehow that reminds me of a Game of Thrones thing. Uh, anybody, you guys see Game of Thrones? Yes. You know the chick she talks about the, his bone? Anyway. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, Going from the bone. So, couldn't help it. Well, hey, welcome to the Felony Inc. Podcast, Perry and Chris. What do you got to say for yourselves off the top? I love the idea. I just was listening to the podcast on the way down. I love the work you all are doing with this and the idea that, not the idea, the fact that people can return from incarceration and not just kind of get by and trudge through life, but actually excel and make yep. differences for themselves, their families, their communities, ourselves, our families, our communities, That's right. I should say. That's right. And it's, it's exponential and um, what, what can be done. When, it, when a transformation takes place, um, whether it's ex-felon or whatever, you know, drug addict, homeless, um, when, when that person becomes a contributing member of society, it, it, there's so many things that happen. It's, it, it affects, obviously, themselves in so many ways, but it has an effect, a huge effect on a business, if it's theirs or somebody else's business that they're working for. Um, their families, and in a bigger sense, the community. So I just get excited about it. You know, my my own personal transformation was very dramatic and um, and interesting. Uh, in that, I learned so much, and I've been able to um, have an effect on the greater community. Definitely. So that's what uh, I think you guys have experienced too. Right. Well, Chris, you know, on that note, um, uh, you're an attorney. I mean, how many people in, in prison would think that uh, they could get out, right. get past all those barriers and become attorney? How did that happen? Right. So that's, uh, I think we could do an episode just on, yeah. on that, honestly. Sure. And I'd love to come back and, and tell that whole story sometime. Okay. In a nutshell, I, I got my, my main issue was untreated addiction uh, resulting from a lot of trauma that I went through uh, during my young years, my teenage years, and my early 20s. And I actually got sober when I was 24 years old. And about six months later, I, my house was surrounded by federal agents and I was indicted on five federal felony old stuff. charges. Exactly. Old stuff after you got sober. I mean, exactly. Before you guys mm -hmm. And so I went went to prison and witnessed how the system worked for me, witnessed how the system worked for others, and I actually kind of wanted to be an attorney when I was a kid, but I got really, I used to think I was just bad, a flawed individual, and I realized that I was making bad decisions, yeah. but I wasn't an inherently bad person. Mm -hmm. I had to get well and address these underlying issues and conditions. And once I did, even when I was sitting in the penitentiary, I was able to start that internal change and healing and growth. Hmm. And eventually that translated and led to college. That turned into a When you got out of prison, you get yes. to college? Mm -hmm. Okay. I had taken some classes before, hmm. uh, even before I really started selling drugs extensively. Sure. But the addiction progressed to the point where I couldn't really function at all in, you know, in society, in school, or anything like that. Mm -hmm. And during prison, I, for the first time, really actually became attracted 
to people doing positive things because that's in any group, right? Any any prison, any pod in jail, yeah. any company. That's true. Any sports team, there's people doing positive things and there's people doing negative things. And I was somehow, I think it was because I got sober and made some changes before I got locked up, I was drawn to the guys that had been down for like 20 years but were really taking care of themselves, you know, praying, exercising, eating right. I, I followed them instead of the people who were still gambling, doing drugs, fighting all the time, all that stuff. And everything within me began to change. I mean, my life was terrible, right? I was in prison. So externally, it sucked. But internally, I began to heal. And then about 10 years later, my external life caught up to where my internal life had been for a while. So in other words, your mind, your mind began to... Um create a different future and it took a few years and it took patience and kind of a, a belief that you would that things would change definitely and and that's um, exactly my experience and many other folks who have made that um, have learned that their minds are they can be accountable they can make the decisions and you know they can take the power you can take your own power back instead of giving it to everybody else and making blame you know blame uh, excuses, all that stuff. Um, let go of that. That's, anytime you're doing that, you're wasting your time. Absolutely. So we've heard a little bit from Chris. Now uh, you want to have your opening monologue, sir? A monologue. Okay. <laughs> all right. My wife loves your bread. This is, this is uh, Perry, by the way. Yeah, Perry Gadurgis. Uh, my wife loves your bread. Uh, you know, they used you to just you don't promote that too much. You, you don't like my bread? Actually, I do, too. Yeah, okay. I do too. Yeah, we found it in Sam's Club out east. It's funny about you. Talking to you, uh, some people know you, and some people don't know you. Right. Uh, both the east Some people the think they know me. <laughs> okay. right. well, where's that $20 you still have? Yeah. <laughs> All right. All right, last time. So... Prison saved my life. I, a lot of times say I was a rebel without a clue. Um, I went to prisons... Um, I ran around in street gangs outside of the uh, D.C. area. I was a greaser, rednecky guy. I'm just a couple of years older than you. Just turned 62. And mm. You're about uh, okay. a couple of years older than Lad, actually. Yeah. Oh, okay, got it. Who's <laughs> a couple of years older than me? Okay. And I'm a couple of years older than Alan. Okay. So anyway, I'm sorry. Let's go. So back in the 70s, the prison, prisons were four times smaller than they are now. And it, but and with that, I, I was in Upper Marlboro where I had visited buddies of mine. I'd been to the Maryland prisons as a visitor. And then I was ripping and roaring a lot of street crimey kind of stuff. Ended up getting caught finally for an $8 armed robbery. Yeah, that sounds familiar. You were a pretty good criminal too. Yeah, wasn't like I? Yeah, my, my one and only. Yeah, yeah, with two other guys. And we had to spend about $10 to catch a cab because it was a high-speed cab. <laughs> oh, shit. How do you pull out? How do you do yeah, that? Where are you going to get that other $2? Right? Yeah, you have yeah. to go out with a sign on the, on the road. <laughs> hey, I will work for $2. No. <laughs> Yeah. So there was a high-speed uh, chase. It was at night. They had just invented drop safes then. This was on my mother's birthday, December 10th, 1975. And I'd been drinking and drugging for just about three years. And all the I, money was in the safe. You couldn't get it. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it was a small gas station. And so um, I went to jail. And uh, I didn't right away. My, home, my running buddy that got caught that night told on us and some other people. And um, Packs of life. Yeah. Reality. Expect it. Expect yes. it. So, two years into prison and doing all the good things that you sort of do, we call them programming. I got my GED. I became a trustee and then a head trustee. I was editor of our jail newspaper. It was called the Centennial Slammer. And uh, I still got copies of that. I even have one I brought with me you can take a look at. Yeah, I love that. Um, From but, what, uh, what year? Uh, 77. Yeah. Yeah, 77. So you were just a youngster. I was uh, probably like a sophomore in high school. Sophomore, okay. Yeah, I hadn't quit yet. Okay, and I dropped out as a sophomore, you know, yeah, myself. And I and I was college bound just before that. I was an athlete. I was taught karate. I loved basketball. We had a, I wanted to say, we had an all-white basketball team in, in the, one of the prisons I was at. It was up at MCTC, Maryland Correctional Training Center. And we were called horseradish because we were all white. <laughs> 
and we were hot. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I could actually, and I could actually dunk. Uh, you were pretty good. Yeah, I was dunk. I'm six four. Yeah, yeah. so I, I could dunk and all that. So, yeah. and so I was getting recruited by the other teams, and uh, yeah, just a little trippy little slice of prison. Well, that we, part. Both Lad and I like to play basketball. Uh, you do still? But, no, not so much now. Yeah, I'm, I'm too broken down. But we used to play all the time. Yeah, in prison and uh, um, great exercise. But anyway, I don't suppose you do a whole lot of that now. No. No. <laughs> Golf. Golf. Yeah. Whatever Golf. works, yeah. Right, and other things. But um, so what happened, as I say, prison saved my life. I finally had a light bulb experience at the prison that I had been a guest at a few years earlier for a meeting. Um, a guy named JoJo um, was in there a few years earlier, and he was back on a, a violation and uh, was going to some um, self-support groups, self-help groups, and uh, to look good for the parole board. That was something you had to do. I was coming up on a two-year hearing. I was going to get a year set off um, and go into minimum security. But a light bulb went off that I didn't drink and drug socially like I thought I did. It was a big fantasy, and I was already starting to write in prison. You were an addict. Yeah, more alcohol, more yeah, alcohol. Well, yeah, 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 alcohol, which is a drug, but that was my main drug. Yeah, it's, it's something that's fucking up your life. That and uh, PCP and pot. Yeah, and I was smuggling it in and um, and and using it. You could buy it back then. It was pretty widespread, and I think it in a lot of institutions. Well, I, I wish I could have gone to prison back then, man. That was so much fun. Anyway, yeah, man. yeah. There was it, there. It wasn't all bad, and not to glorify it or anything, but you <laughs> no, make the best. No, it's not anymore. Of, right, it, it's pretty make, boring now. Yeah, you make the best of a bad situation. But I was a reader, and I read a lot, and a lot of self-study, and I had aspirations. Yeah, to a better life. I knew there was a better life, but I, as Chris said, I, I straddled that world of people who were trying to do good stuff behind the walls and people who weren't. And I was like, weaving between those two worlds. You weren't sure what you wanted yet or, or what? Yeah, and I think some of that might have been the young and dumb thing. Sure. And, um, and you're just, you're like double dumb. You're ignorant of the fact that you're ignorant. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Oh my God, the first 38 years of my life, um, I have very low self-esteem, but I also was very proud. <laughs> Too proud to accept that anybody, you know. Yeah, you I, know what they call I that? I knew it all. Yeah, there's a saying for that. You're, uh, you can own it or not, but it's uh, egomaniac with inferiority complex. Yeah, that's a good one. I haven't heard that. I like <laughs> yeah. it. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, and, and I certainly was that myself. And um yeah, and it's a tough place to be that way. You're just a rebel without a clue. Is, is, is one of the ways I describe that. There you go. Yeah, tough guy syndrome. Uh, yeah, I was heavily tattooed, and, and I used to be in the gym and was pretty pumped. And um, that was, again, my other life, as it were. And it was an image thing. Yeah. And I wanted people to be afraid of me. I mean, I had hate tattooed on my knuckles. It's, I've had them lasered off. Yeah. And I had gang references on my other yeah, hand. Yeah, don't need that shit no more. Yeah. So it was this image thing. Be afraid of me. Respect me. But inside, I, I was just um, a sick person. Yeah. Sure. And, and it's great that... So too many people, um, there's a stigma about admitting that you have an issue. You yes. Know? And for me, that was the key, was to finally just say, fuck it, I don't care what anybody thinks. I realize I got a problem, and maybe somebody can help me, you know? Bingo. That's it. You know, Dave used to have uh, on his right hand, uh, Jill and Mary on his hand. And they both had five... Um, yeah, I got it. We call that Fistina. <laughs> that was already Fistina. Yeah, is that all you got? But uh, he had him lasered off because his girlfriend was. Do you have, any, do you have anything better to talk about? Um, Maybe, but you, I, any, you know what, what I do. What? Well, I want to get back to Chris because Chris was telling us how he overcame the barriers of becoming an attorney. I want to know how he was able to, you know, your your record and all that stuff. How you mm. were, how you overcame that. Right. So I'll start actually with a quick story from going back to prison for a minute. I actually watched Obama get elected in 2008. I was sitting in federal prison and watched him get elected. And then during my second year of, excuse me, my third year of law school, I had the opportunity to work in the uh, White House wow. for President Obama, <laughs> uh, d working on drug policy, the Office of National Drug Control policy. And this is, I'll get back to the law school, but I didn't want to forget to mention this one. 
is that the irony of that whole situation, and this speaks to the barriers I, I faced with law school and even more so with getting admitted to the bar, is that in order to uh, serve in the Obama administration, serve in the White House on drug policy, I had to have a top secret eligible national security position oh, clearance. That's a big deal and for the next felon. I, it was a process. It wasn't looking good. But what I did, and this speaks to the purpose of this show, the entrepreneurship, I utilized all of those skills of hustling that I used when I was selling cocaine, when I was homeless, when I was in the penitentiary. Mm. Through all of that, I switched it and put that same level, if not more, energy and passion into connecting with every Positive single like stuff. catching I, I once was at a conference with the director of national drug control policy I saw him step out to use the bathroom caught him in the hallway mm. and just said hey what's going on with this I would you know asked about this six months ago is this thing gonna happen and he said yeah I'll work on it you know? and so that ended up happening and the most ironic thing about it is that and my job now I direct the statewide reentry council for the governor in Washington and so I get the national security position clearance right and then what do you think happens when I try to rent an apartment yeah <laughs> same old thing as soon as I check off yes mm -hmm. have you ever you know the have you ever questions yeah Oh, yeah. Have you ever been convicted? I'm immediately ineligible. So I had to call the White House and say, yeah, I'd love to come here, but I can't secure. I can not I can get past the Secret Service, but not past uh, this landlord. Yeah. Anyway, I ended up working out. But uh, that's just a, for law school, for getting admitted to the bar, uh, very similar stuff. The dean of the law school was initially very wary. He uh, told him my story about uh, being, you know, interested in law school and he just, all he knew about me was that I had some kind of diverse, bring some kind of diversity to the law school. I think he thought maybe I had been in the Peace Corps or something like that. That's like normal law school diversity. And so I told him, you know, my mom was a single mom growing up and he said, okay, okay, this, we, I had an interview with the dean himself. And then he's, and then I said, well, I, I, I was uh, homeless as a teenager for a little while. And he said, okay, okay. No, that's not, although said, it's working for you. So far, yeah. so far. And then I said I had uh, some serious issues with addiction. And he said, okay. You know, he's a little less enthusiastic. And then as I knew I had to, I, dis Felony. I disclosed that I had been, you know, served a multiple-year federal prison sentence and do still carry a felony conviction for drug trafficking. And uh, I don't know if I said it exactly like that, but as soon as I said that, it was like a wall Ooh. came up between us. Mm -hmm. And he said, you know, maybe there's another career that would be more uh, accepting of your background. Maybe you could Genitorial. be a drug count. He said drug counselor, maybe social worker, something like that. And I, I know I was crushed. Mm -hmm. I was really, it took me so much to get the energy and the, I guess, braveness yeah. to go in and talk to him about my dream year, to go to law school. What was this? This would have been 2013. Okay. And so what I did, and this is really important, was that years before that, not very many, I would have either attacked somehow, said something or done something that was going to just make the situation even worse or yeah. or take off, right? Yeah. Say, screw it. Forget it. I'll go do my thing, you you know, and have just this huge resentment. But instead, I decided to stand up for myself in a respectful and appropriate way, maybe for the first time in my life. And I said, Dean, why didn't the judge give me a life sentence? And he said, I don't know. He was surprised by my question. Mm. I said, so then, Dean, why are you giving me a life sentence here today? Wow. Wow. Beautiful. Beautiful. And that slowly that. began. Did that come off just off the top of your head? You... It did. I, I was not prepared for that. Yeah. And it, it's good. It, it was a good one. <laughs> so that began the wall that was between us. It didn't come crumbling down that moment, but a couple bricks fell off the right. top. And then about a year later... 
he voted in my favor to be admitted to the law school. That's great. And it, that shows the, the ex- exponential power because, you know, you get that lucky, not lucky, but you, you do change some, a little bit of mind and that just kind of crumbles this and pushes that. And, you know, things start changing. It's a ripple effect of nothing else, but it, it's a lot more than a ripple effect. It's so powerful. I have to take a break and here you go, Alon, take it away. CPA dudes, where accounting is never boring. Their price is not based on time. Instead, customers decide what to pay them. They don't charge you for sending invoices, phone calls, emails, texts, or meetings. They just get the damn job done. Find them at cpadudes.com slash startupradio. Tell them Dave and Lad sent you, and we'll send you a very special surprise. Seriously, we will. Today's episode of the Felony Inc. podcast is brought to you by Publicize, a deconstructed PR subscription service which generates effective visibility for your business. Publicize handles all communications with the media and any content required to do this, such as press releases, editorial pitches, etc. And they offer a wide range of PR products and abilities out of which you can construct the PR package right for the future of your business. So Chris was telling us about how um, things... He started breaking barriers there uh, in, in Washington, right? Or was it? It wasn't yet Washington. This was my home state. Portland, Maine is where oh, I grew that's up, right. actually. Okay. And now you ended up all the way across country. At this point, you're in Washington, uh, you, the state of Washington. That's where, we, where you hail from now. Um, okay, so what happened next? Now, you were, you were fortunate enough, or you, you were smart enough, and uh, you had become the kind of person who was ready to make change um, around you. Right, so I, I got into law school and I figured that I would be, uh, you know, if, if everything went well, I'd be in a small, kind of small town, Portland, Maine, the original Portland uh, town yeah, uh, attorney. Sure. And, you know, represent clients, probably do some civil rights work, some defense work, maybe some civil cases, regular civil law. And what happened was, and this again speaks to the entrepreneurship, is my second year of law school, I met the director of drug control policy for the country. And he talked about being in recovery from addiction openly. I thought if you weren't in a certain kind of meeting, you couldn't talk about that stuff. I thought it was supposed to be a secret. We're supposed to hide it. I didn't know. I had no idea about recovery advocacy and criminal justice reform or anything like that. To me, I kind of want to shout it out to the hilltops. You know, things are, you know, how things have gotten better. Right. So, yeah. So I met met him, and that's what ended up eventually leading to being able to uh, serve at the Office of National Drug Control Policy during my final year of law school. And that's when my whole trajectory shifted from wanting to be a, an attorney representing a few clients and making changes in a few people's lives to switching into the policy world Advocacy. where we're actually you know writing laws, changing laws, and impacting tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands or millions of lives across the country with the different work we do. You're, um, you're an advocate, you, but you're not actually what are, you're not actually a member of the government. I am. Oh, you are. I am. I work for the. It's a council of people who, some of whom are from the government, some of whom aren't. It's 15 mm-hmm. people appointed by uh, Governor Inslee in Washington. And I'm the executive director of okay, the council. Okay, I, I always thought that was like a um, that you were, but, but the name. What is it again that you are executive director of? The statewide reentry council, okay. and it's the only one in the country that's an ongoing council for, for connected with the government to actually advise the government on how to do things better, yeah. so that we can reduce recidivism, so that we can keep people out of prison and jails in the first place. I'd be interested uh, another at another time to find out the the, the challenges you have there. Uh, you know, to me, government is a tough nut to deal with. I'm not too sure that I have the I have what it takes for that. You know, 
there's a lot of moving parts, but it is possible when when you have a good team and when you're given some freedom, mm-hmm. which I am, like to come here, yeah. right, today mm-hmm. on yeah. a work day and mm-hmm. talk about what we do and share yeah. my stories so we, we are able to not change the world overnight. But definitely, actually, you've change seen some laws. action. Absolutely, you've seen some things. You've helped uh, make some things happen in that regard. We have, and and we still are. Great. So I'd like to know um, the professor that eventually, you know, kind of backed you, you know, for your bar. Now that you've moved into these positions in life, um, have you had any communications with him? And has he found out where you're at in life now? He has. So he was still dean when I started uh, law school and on there was about a year between that first conversation which I didn't feel great about you know when I first met him and me getting in and I can tell you that some some growth happened within me meaning I didn't throw a chair or storm out of the room or swear at him right then and there some growth Mm -hmm. that's growth but guess what some growth happened in him too because he Absolutely. learned that's what I'm talking that about people have a second you know chance and people the redemption is real and that I think what I can't say what he thought but what his eyes told me in that room when I said you know about the life sentence mm-hmm. what I felt was he said who am I to tell this young man mm-hmm. that he can't do this yeah, maybe I'm, he can he maybe he can all of a sudden he realized he was somebody who was holding you down he was making a uh, he was he's either going to have a negative effect on you or a positive uh, giving you a positive opportunity and he saw that you were smart and he saw that that your stuff was in your past it started it started coming to him right. that he realized this was an opportunity and on my first day of law school my uh, my grandmother who passed away just about a year ago now a little she walked me through all of it from homelessness addiction she came and visited me in Lewisburg Penitentiary, hundreds of miles from my home. And she saw me off on my first day of law school together. And then when I walked in, felt like I was, you know, a kindergartner or something with my grandmother waving me off, but it was even (laughs) bigger. And like back from the dead. And the dean came, he didn't shy away from me. That first day, he came right up to me, gave me a strong, firm handshake and said, welcome. You're part of this community. You belong here. What college was that? University of Maine School of Law. So, now, we've spent quite a bit of time with, uh, with Chris, and it's been really great so far. Now, we need to move back over to uh, Perry. Right. Where, where were we at with Perry? One of my early jobs when I got out of prison was to, uh, I always aspired to be a truck driver, So, and I got real lucky on that. I also started speaking in schools with my prison story and my recovery story. My sister committed suicide while I was behind the walls, and that was devastating, and I'm getting chills when I think of that, even though it was 40 years ago, but Julie in some ways saved my life. I talked to her just a few hours before she uh, shot herself. And so I felt there must be some purpose to come out of that tragedy, as it were. And she was like one of my main people that would write me and visit me and bring my girlfriends and that kind of thing. That must have been devastating. It, it was. It yeah. was. And you know what? They took me to a meeting that night. My sponsor showed up, and, and they led the meeting on acceptance. And I just cried the mm. whole time. And um, I've always said that uh, the recovering community and some professionals, they loved me before I could love myself. Yeah, that yeah. self-esteem thing. Yes. And and with that, too, what Chris was sharing, there's a saying, too, that and especially for us who were formerly incarcerated, it's hard to hate up close. And so when people are listening to this right now, it's hard to hate us when they see the humanized aspects that we're just That's maybe really complicated people. Our brains have been hijacked if we're addicted to drugs or alcohol. Or if we're young, we got awful poor impulse control and, uh, and huff and glue or anything that we do or untreated ADD or any of those kind of things. Yeah. Some of that stuff is just because like, we hate ourselves. You know? yeah. <laughs> Throw some glue, sniff some glue. Who gives yeah. a fuck? Yeah. yeah, I'm lucky to be alive. I was in gang situations where it was so easy. And, and in today's world, I probably would have been shot a long time ago mm-hmm. because of just the, the violence has escalated even worse. Yeah. Um, so I was inspired to be a counselor. So I went back to school and became a, a counselor, a therapist, and ran a youth alcohol program in Southern Maryland starting in 1980. And the state of Maryland hired me while I was still on parole. I had a, um, 
what, five years of parole. You were about 25 and 80, right? No, actually, I was 23 or okay. so. And I got hired to run this program. And I, my entrepreneurial skills and a boss that allowed me to just create stuff. So I created a counseling program at the jail for school program outreach and community connection stuff. And, and I was just this ball of fire. And, um, and I loved it. And I had that ability. And I had to trust of people. Because I could not do this alone. I mean, all of us have at least one or multiple people who have helped support us along the way. Yeah. Uh, that's real key. I've never seen success that didn't have at least somebody had our positive regard who really had our, our heart, in a sense, uh, to, to do the work that we do. And in that work, I had a Messiah complex. I'm going to save the world. <laughs> yeah. Captain Sabo. Oh. Yes. Yeah, Captain Sabo. That's what I've always been. That's all on. All on set. He saves us every every week. Yeah. So speeding this up, um, I burnt out of that world. Um, if you're doing that kind of work, and and I started getting into the political end too, and policy, like Chris has done as well. I, I got asked to replace a judge's position on a governor's alcohol advisory council, and the next youngest person was like over 20 years older than me. I'm some 40 some year old, like an old guy. Yeah. And, <laughs> Uh, and the yeah. rest were older. And so I brought an energy there. And, and again, they accepted me. And some of it was arrogance and, and whatever and dreaming and grandiosity and that. And you shoot for the stars. Yeah. and uh, young, young man stuff. Yes, yes. Ideolo yes. Ideology, uh, the ideal version of yourself that, and, and the ideal version of the world that you're gonna, you think you're going to have. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. And, but I do believe in paying it forward or passing oh, it on. God, yes. You got to do that. Well, and it's, I just, a, it's a no-brainer. I mean, yeah. once you do it, once you've done it a few times, I mean, I did it naturally. It felt natural to me. Yes. To, and, and it was also just amazing for my business. It had so many, it affected every part of my life to give back. And, uh, but the be it's its own reward. You know, because you feel good because you're doing something. Yes, good. yeah. And, and it can look different, too. Like, there's times of... Um, just one-on-one -on -one connection. Well, that just for five minutes of conversation. Somebody needs to to be for you to listen to them. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. And and also that we have people that are listening to us as well. But just that connection is just so key. I think some people suggest addiction is a disconnection, whether that's from a higher power, from a spiritual source, from a community. And you said something earlier that struck me too. That yeah, you know, when we change and transform our communities around us do because we we have collateral damages all over us and around us our families we've hijacked them we've robbed their peace of mind yeah. our community's peace of mind and sense of mind a sense well, we of destroy so many things or we or we build yeah. and create and make a difference positive difference or a negative difference a choice choices we make right? and, and so doesn't it really come down to you're either part of the problem or you're part of the solution yeah and some people are uh, just, uh, you know, they don't, they're not leaders, they, they'll follow, they follow whatever, um, you know, whatever they fall into, and then, but then when eventually the key is to be able to figure out that you have the power, and that what are you going to do with it? Yes, yes. And so as people are listening to this, you, you just struck me that the, the folks that are listening is just that, and, and by you saying that, Dave, that they have the power, it's like... Um, not in an egotistic way, but in a right. way that the, this innate creative ability inside of us and our talents and our gifts. And then it's on us to get the right people and, and institutions to help us develop them and, and put them out in a positive way. Because really, another way to say it is we're, we've legalized our street skills in a way, too. Sure. And as Chris had mentioned, using those other old abilities well, or skills or survival to turn that around. Yeah, well, you're able to use that training ground uh, out there. for uh, you, you, Eventually, you can use it for good. You Absolutely. And, and credibility, too. If you have a public service-ness to you, uh, it was easy for me to go back in prisons and talk, and I did that a lot, and also easy to go into schools and talk to kids about my sister's suicide, about my family system, and, and how recovery happens, and what that looks like. Yeah, and when people say that, that you know, giving back and the kind of great things that you're talking about doing, when they say that's so selfless and uh, unselfish, well, for me, I see it. I don't see it that way. First of all, it makes my ego feel good. That's me. Uh, secondly, you know, I mean, overall, that, essentially that's it. I'm doing something I want to do. Um, 
it makes a difference, makes me feel good about well, my life and my world. Um, so it's not entirely unselfish, but right. yeah, and because and your ego is stroked by these things, so it's like, okay, wait, how far am I going to go with this ego thing? Because that gets me into trouble too. Yes, yes, yes. So you remind me, there's this idea: the gifts and the giving. The gifts and the giving. The gift is in the giving. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It's not in the reward. Right. I mean, it is the reward. Ideally unconditional. Yeah. Eventually, a lot of times, there is a lot of other rewards. But yeah. that's not It's not why you do it. Right, lad? That's right. That all you got to save yourself? Well, you know... I, you look like you were thought, being thoughtful there. I, I am. Well, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about, you know, the, how, you know, you say it changes other people's lives. Well, I don't know if you guys know, um, at the bakery, when Dave had the bakery, um, about 30% of... Uh, the workers there were ex-felons. Yeah, I saw you guys on camera. A- NPR did a piece on you. That's when I first really started to investigate you in the sense of positive change, and people were doing that. But see, it didn't yeah, it stop there. It, what a, what happened was is that when Dave did it, and Dave got a, a, you know an awards, you know different awards for the type of business that he ran. Then it started to affect other businesses around the Portland area. So. Well, and not just in Portland area, but um, I mean, we look at Homeboy Industries. I'm not uh, sure who uh, influenced who, but I'll tell you what, it's the same kind of deal. And uh, I've never visited Homeboy. Uh, I've been wanting to for a long time. But tell us, why don't you tell us a little bit? Obviously, you wore that shirt, so you're going to have to say a little bit about it. <laughs> Sure. So there, there are a lot of. Bit. I actually had a piece of Dave's Killer Bread this morning. I was not paid <laughs> to say this. Yeah. No, I made it through. So my, I don't make a penny on that. So, <laughs> so you know. My uh, my girlfriend had been buying, started buying Dave's Killer Bread, right? And she Where was this no, at? In Washington. In Washington. Mm-hmm. We live in Olympia now. Yeah. And she had no idea the background. I didn't even know. I just grab a piece of bread from the refrigerator. Mm. I'm very fortunate, blessed, right, that I don't necessarily need to go shopping all the time. And then I looked and I said, oh, my goodness, do you realize the connection between my work, my background, and this company? And I told her the story. And there's all sorts of, uh, that's, I mean, that's, it's one thing to say we support people re-entering, right? It's another thing to do something about it. And lip service is one thing. Places like uh, Pioneer Human Services in Washington State, uh, Homeboy Industries down in L.A. area. Uh, There's Mod Pizza now. There's a lot of unions are hiring people straight out of prison, actually training people while they're in prison. And I got connected to Homeboy Industries. They invited me. I read Father G, Greg Boyle's uh, book, Tattoos on the Heart, uh, years ago. And I just, it was phenomenal. You know, a a Jesuit priest got assigned to East L.A. and found that the church was basically empty because everyone thought they had to get right before they could go to God. Oh, yeah. Instead of going to God to get right and he opened the doors you're a gang member come in you're a sex worker come in you just got out of prison come in yeah and that's the that's kind of where it started exactly right and so they invited me to come down to be part of what they called their global homeboy network that's great and we had a conference together absolutely i'm happy to introduce you to the folks we'll keep we'll stay in touch and and talk about that stuff um i'm I wanted to say something um, about that, but you know, with Dave's Killer Bread, for example, we didn't uh, start out going, "Hey, we're going to uh, hire a third ex felons." You know, let's uh, let's do that. It's a great marketing move, right, or something. But which obviously we didn't know it was a good marketing move. The honest truth was. I was successful. I was, I was doing well, very well, and for a very long time. Uh, after I had my epiphany, and I was like, other people are doing this too. You know, why aren't we, why wouldn't we want people like that? And we were, you know, this was something that a developing idea in my mind that um, eventually looking back, it's like a no brainer. You just go, other people aren't um, hiring these folks, these great people. So you have this amazing uh, pool of people, of talent, of quality people that nobody wants. I'm like, well, we do. You know. Right. It's an untapped 
resource. You know, untapped resource, absolutely. And people generally, I I was did not meet many people in prison that said, I just can't wait till I get out so I can do the same shit and come right back. Generally, it was after barrier, after barrier, after barrier, employment, housing, family, all these things, right, fall through and then people return. Yeah, usually. we got, well, there's, that brings up a whole nother um, point uh, that... This all begins upstream. So, you know, what, you know, changing lives, people transforming their lives begins right now. Um, If you're, if you're in prison, if you're in jail, listen to this prison, or you have have people that are in prison, um, these folks need to start now. You know, it's like, there's no... There's no time like right now, because eventually it's going to be now when they do start. And, you know, it could be like they're getting out in a couple years, and they're just not going to do shit till they get out. Well, you got to start now. If you have an opportunity, those those programs, those little things, those mind restructuring opportunities, they're meaningful. They can help. It's all about your application, about you getting into it, you know, and... uh so there's that upstream side, and then it's just then there's got to be opportunities for them when they get out. So I'm all about promoting. Um, I don't really believe in the government doing it, but I, I could be wrong that it could happen. Uh, my sense is that we need more opportunities for people in prison, and it, that while they're in there, not just when they get out, but while they're in there to change. Right, and I agree, and a huge part of what we do as the Reentry Council is simply break down the barriers between government and the community members of places where people are going to be returning to. So, for example, we're we're working on getting credible messengers, people who had successfully reentered from prison, going back into the prisons about six months to 18 months before someone's released and talking about reentry. And these folks would not all work for the government either. Yeah. They might hopefully get They're paid through a nonprofit um, or volunteer yeah. and hopefully be paid So yeah. because we value their time and Absolutely. want it to be sustainable. Well, you want great. You want the best people, too. Yeah, Right. Yeah. But we really, we want to, and it's, it's just interesting, right, the council is only a couple people, actually, from the government on the council, and mm-hmm. we want to serve as the connector rather yeah. than the person telling this is the way it's got to be, this is how you're going to do it, et cetera, right. which probably is the concern. <laughs> it's, one, it's certainly one for me yeah. when it comes to government. Um, we need to make a break. We're a little late for that. Which is, which is a good day's episode. comes from our friends at Ruby Receptionist. At Ruby, they master the art of turning rings into relationships. Their team of remote receptionists answer all of your calls live as if they're right there in your office. And with Ruby's mobile app, you easily control just how they screen, transfer, and take your messages. Start setting your business apart today. Visit callruby.com slash startup radio to sign up, or better yet, call them at 833-861-8100 and use promo code STARTUPRUBY. Tell them Dave and Lad sent you, and you get a hundred and fifty dollar credit. Well, that's great. That is um, that's great, Ruby receptionist. Now, um, I do want to get to why Perry and Chris are here, um, and you know, there's it's meaningful. There's something going on tonight. Yes, um, there's uh, in town here in Portland, Oregon, is the Association of Writers and Writing Programs, and I've been attending this for a couple of years, trying to finish my own memoir, supporting other people with their memoirs, and my one memoir right now is uh, work in progress. Chris is also I've been encouraging him as well as some other fellow folks that have written memoirs about uh, their incarceration experience, their addiction experience. So we're having a reading tonight at the uh, Cascade uh, campus of the Portland. Portland. How's it pronounced? Portland uh, Community College. Yes, it's okay. the Cascades uh, campus. Cascadia. Yeah. Cascadia. Okay. okay. And that's in uh, in uh, Terrell Hall. That's from seven to nine. It's called Lit Up. So I um, I'm a from networker. Seven to nine. Seven to nine tonight. And um, that's how you and me connected. I first originally asked you to, to, to come maybe read your your memoir yeah. or work in progress or even maybe lyrics to some of your your music uh, yeah. your original music. Um, yeah and. It, now it's come down to that time, and uh, I'm not sure what I what I have to bring. I mean, I got so many. Th- I do have a lot of writings, but um, 
I think the best would may, maybe be of my story if I if that comes around. But um, you know, maybe I'll have a chance to come tonight. I'm not sure yet. Okay, so what we do have other formerly incarcerated folks, and, and it worked out for Chris to be here and mm-hmm. and and do this. And um, we've stayed in touch. Social media has been great for some of that stuff, and even the way I connected with you, Dave. And so I'm very much about propping up, sort of speak, everybody's story and and humanizing them. And it just seemed like the perfect opportunity. There's 12,000 writers that are here in town uh, this week and through tomorrow night. Wow. And it was like it was a no-brainer in my mind to offer this kind of a, uh, a gig and also to have a local recovery community. It's called the Fourth Dimension yeah, Recovery. I, a young people. I know about them. So yes. I think you met Tony and I was over there yes. yesterday. Mm-hmm. They're doing amazing work and wow. so uh, they're hosting it and, and I just sort of pieced it together, entrepreneurial-like, uh, with no money, actually. We just went uh, real shoestring, and it worked out. So I'm going to actually reproduce this in the D.C. area uh, in September during National Recovery Month and use some of the same writers and some other writers. I, I have this crazy idea of a film that you actually would be part of, both of you. Uh, I've worked with some other formerly incarcerated folks who have gone on to some real successful work, uh, and we've talked about an idea of a film called 100 Less Court Dates and a Wake-Up, stories <laughs> about successful reentry and a wake up like and a wake up and so it's That's about success but the thing is it's about the inspirational aspects and the, and the uh, hopefulness to families and the individuals that we can get well absolutely we can get well there's and a lot we of hope that's what this is all about hope. yes hope absolutely and, and belief um, you know and accountability because if you you know without accountability you can't really expect a lot of things to change but right? you know what 40 years later after being out of prison I still push back on that I mean I think there's yeah. an, an innate human nature to not always want to be accountable well or as I get older well this is why this is why we would have another show about that because accountability to me is being accountable to yourself it's, yes if you you got to you got to realize you're it's you that has the power. Once you find, once you take the power, that's to me, that's accountability. So, if you're not going to take the power, well, you're, you're going to get lucky. Like Lad might still get lucky, but <laughs> I did. Uh, I won it. I won it. <clears throat> apparently, I have to wrap it up. Just when I've started to get warm. Um, thanks for joining us this week on Felony Inc. Podcast. Join us every Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time at StartupRadioNetwork.com and catch. Previous episodes on any podcast app. If you know what's good for you, you'll shut up and listen. If you don't, I can't promise that we won't show up at your place late at night and make you listen. Breaking and entering Lad's ass again. This will be full-on breaking and listening. And a big thank you to this week's guests, Perry Gedurgis and Chris Poulos. You got it. Close (laughs) enough. That's Greek, right? Is that Greek? It is. Okay. Uh, tune in next week as we welcome Christian Torres, Torres of uh, Aria Lab. And coming up after the break is Latino Founder Hour with your hosts Edgar Navis and Claudia Cardenas. Love those guys. Their podcast is usually in Spanish, so esta, Escalanda la rida de radio de incio. They put stuff in there that he has no idea what he's saying. You're listening to the Startup Radio Network. Listen, learn, launch. 10% of our gross revenue goes directly to women entrepreneurs in developing countries around the world through Kiva's microfinance program.